0: now let's turn our bibles together to proverbs 27 5 through 6 and 17:9 for today's scripture reading these are on pages 548 and 540 in the pew bibles they'll go quickly so try to keep your finger in that second passage i'll give you a moment to find it in your bibles whether the pew or on your devices and the esv version of the text will also be displayed on the screen Again, that's Proverbs 27, 5 to 6, and 17, 9. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. May God bless the reading of His word.
1: One more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good morning, Crossbridge. Yeah, it's good to hear you guys. Our sermon topic this morning is on friendship, lasting friendship. But some of you might be wondering, why is there a sermon on friendship in a sermon series on family and family relationships? And that is a good question. It's a question I was asking myself when I was preparing this message. I think the short answer is that, you know, for a lot of us, you know, friends are family. For some of us, we don't have family here in Boston, perhaps. We don't have parents that attend the other congregations, we, we, perhaps we came here for school, and we settled down here, and so our immediate family members aren't so close, but we have friends here, and they're our family. I mean, for this point, you know, look no further than the nine Fast and Furious movies over the past 20 years. Now, if any of you have seen any one of these uh, movies, you know that family is a. Uh, a main theme. Family is mentioned, I think, at least like 33 times, if not more, by now with all these Fast and Furious movies. And the point is that all these characters in this in these movies they're they're not all blood related, but they're. F- family. They consider themselves as family. And you have Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto, as the patriarch, right? So you can imagine Vin Diesel in incredibly jacked arms and a muscle tee with a a Corona in one hand and a Dodge Charger in the other uh, in in the background saying, you know, I don't have friends. I got family. And then you cue the the see you again song, right? You know, how can we not talk about family when family is all that we got? I'm not going to see it. So anyways, thank you. Yeah. Friendship is important. That's, that's, that's the point, right? Many of us saw the importance of, and e- even the relevance, the need for friendship during this pandemic. Robin Dunbar, he is probably most famous for his research on uh, how humans form and maintain relationships. And so he's, he's probably best known, some of you have heard of the Dunbar number. It's this idea that human societies organizes themselves into groups, but there is a limit into how many stable social relationships that one person can maintain. So the, this Dunbar number basically states that due to limitations on our, our, our brain size, or structure, and even limitations on the time, that we can devote to all these different friendships or relationships, as some of you can relate. We maintain about 150 or so stable social relationships, so about 150 people whom we would call friends. Now, you know, maybe that number has changed a little bit because you know, we're all in the digital world now and we have a lot of Facebook friends, but the point is that He pauses that of these 150 friends, there's about a scaling of three. So if you look closer in the numbers, there's of those 150, when you, there's probably only about five or six close friends. Beyond those five, you can maybe add another 10, you get about 15, you know, let's say best friends. Then multiply by three again, you get about 50. Good friends and then about 150 friends and then about 500 acquaintances and about 1,500 people we know by name. Now, a few months ago, HBO Max, uh, they released that, the highly anticipated Friends Reunion Special, a show about, you know, what do you know, six friends living together in New York City. And and during that special, they they interviewed all these, you know, what felt like, to me, random celebrities. Uh, and there was this one clip where they interviewed BTS, right? And they were, BTS was sharing about the impact, as this global phenomenon of Friends, the impact that Friends had on their lives. It, it, apparently, watching the show Friends taught them English. Watching the show Friends also apparently taught them the things about life and true friendship. So we have Dunbar's number of these different levels of friendships, stable social relationships that we can maintain. We have a show literally called Friends that's centered around six friends, which had a huge impact on pop culture and our, our society and apparently taught a lot of people about friends, about friendship. But what about us as Christians? You know, the Bible also has a lot to say about friendship, and that's where we land today in our passage. It's from Proverbs, which is a wisdom book. Now, so if you recall, kind of back to the first sermon in the series where we preached on Psalm 127 to 128, we talked about wisdom psalms. We talked about wisdom. We mentioned that one scholar defined it as the skill of living in the way of eternal life. Wisdom is the skill of living in the way of eternal life. And so, wisdom in the Bible is almost always linked with the idea of righteousness. Sometimes they even use it interchangeably. So, wisdom literature, like what we find here in today's passage in Proverbs, tells us about right living and right faith. Right living. right faith. And and this passage is giving us wisdom, speaking wisdom into our lives about the kind of friendship that we ought to pursue, how we're to act as friends, which to be honest might be more characteristic of and realistic of the friendships that we have with our 5 or 15 friends than we have with the 150, or the 500, or the 1,000 people on your Facebook uh, friendship uh, list, or your Instagram followers, or whatever. It, it's a friendship that you know, may or may not be different from the friendship in friends. I guess, you, you know, it'll depend on which of the 236 episodes you're talking about. But for our purposes today, we're going to be looking through these two passages. Proverbs 27, 5-6, to six in Proverbs 17:9. So we're going to be kind of looking into the text. I know they're short, but it might be helpful to kind of follow along in, in your pew Bibles and your Bibles at home. Both have to do with friendship. And arguably, what, what makes for a lasting friendship, and hopefully you might find this to be actually true in those close relationships, those close friendships that you have in your life right now. Both passages deal with sin that often creeps up in friendship. You know, if, if friends are like family, then no doubt we might run into some issues with, with our family or, or with our friends, whether it's a, a friend sinning against you, or you sinning against them, or, or simply, you know, if you're that close, it might come up that that friend is struggling with one sin or another. And the main point that we're going to see about friendship this morning. Lasting friendship is this. Cover over sin, but don't cover up sin. Cover over sin, but don't cover up sin. So let's start with Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. We're going to start there. And what these two verses get at is this, that friendship needs frankness, not flattery. Verse 5 opens up with this, this contrast, and what even appears to be a paradox, things that don't quite fit together. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I mean, you have something that is open, fully disclosed, out there, revealed. And then, on the other hand, you have something that is hidden, not seen, not known. Now, we might expect that the passage would say something like, better is open rebuke than hidden rebuke, or hidden discipline, because that makes a little bit more sense in terms of the the train of thought that we might have. It's comparing the same thing, but adding a different adjective, right? Open or hidden, But, but instead he chooses to switch the word to love. And so he's still talking about the same thing, open rebuke, hidden love. But by comparing it this way, the point, I think, that the author of Proverbs is trying to make is that rebuke, it's a form of love. And rebuke ought to come from a place of love. Let me say that again. Rebuke is a form of love, and it ought to be coming from a place of love. The friendship that this proverb talks about, it's characterized by frankness being frank with one another better is open rebuke than hidden love and so he's comparing these two things he's saying that one obviously is is better than the other that friendship that you have is shown through word and deed so in in this case it's not the thought that counts right Instead it's it's being brought out into the open. But but what exactly? You know, we're we're not talking about telling someone, you know, your shoes are ugly, you know, they don't match with your shirt. We're talking about sin. We are shining a light on sin. We are exposing it and revealing it for what it is. It is ugly, it is damaging, it is a hindrance to your relationship with God and your relationship to others. It not only affects your friendship between you and the other person, it even might affect the people around you. And this frankness, this open rebuke needs to be coming from a place of love. This is why the author writes that it is better than hidden love, because hidden love is not helpful. So one commentator, I was reading through some commentaries, and one commentator commentator put it this way, secret love is like winking at a girl in the dark. Does neither her nor you any good? Now, admittedly, you know, I'm reading this, I feel like it's a little bit dated, you know, I get the picture, right? You get the picture, but I'm not sure if people still wink. And if you're winking at someone, I don't know, you know, if it's not your significant other or your spouse, I don't know how they'll take it. So I'm going to try to modernize it a bit, so bear with me. And let's see if this can land a little bit better. Hidden love is like typing, typing up a whole text message about how you feel about them, then deleting it and sending pay instead. (laughs) Whether it's your crush, or more appropriately, maybe it's someone you're actually in a relationship with, you know, not saying anything does them nor you any good. You know, if you're not telling them or showing them love, what, what good is it? And our passage makes the point that one of the ways to show love is open rebuke being frank, pointing that friend to Christ. That's difficult for a lot of us. Am I right? That's difficult for some of us to swallow, especially when some of us don't like confrontation. Can I get an amen? (laughs) When it's extremely uncomfortable for us to bring hard truths up, And that's because while, you know, open rebuke, it's a form of love, when it comes from a place of love, it doesn't always feel loving. And thank God, because I think God recognizes that. The author of Proverbs recognizes that, because in verse 6, I think it's drawing that out. The passage continues, "...Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy." So again, we we see this contrast in what feels like a a paradox, things that don't quite fit together, right? A friend wounding you, wounds from a friend, kisses from an enemy? Shouldn't it be reversed, right? That's not what we expect. But verse 6 is really only building off of verse 5. It's expounding on verse 5. You see, that that word love in verse 5 and that word friend in verse 6 it's the same root word in the original language. Now, that's not super, point, or super important, but the, the, the point is that the author is drawing this connection between friend and love, which then is shown as open rebuke, which we see at the beginning of verse 5. So basically, that part, half of the big idea, don't cover up sin. Don't cover up sin in your friendships. This connection is acknowledging the very awkwardness you and I feel when we need to point our friends to Christ. Because it is open, it is direct, oftentimes it is severe. That is, you are making a wound. So metaphorically speaking, if you can imagine in your mind that you are taking a knife and cutting into the flesh of your friend, maybe it's the person sitting next to you or the people sitting around you. It's not a great fun imagery, visual. It's not a fun experience for them. I hope it's not a fun experience for you, but it needs to be done. Because you're not just cutting into that person for the sake of cutting. At least that's the hope, right? The purpose is to heal or to restore something broken. I mean, that's what a surgeon does, right? Sometimes to remove the cancer or to replace the heart or to fix a a, a dislocated bone or something. the, The surgeon has to make an incision into the flesh. In order that what is diseased, what is broken, what uh, does not belong can be healed, restored, or or removed. That the intention, the the motive and purpose behind the wounding matters. It's not meant to destroy. It's meant to restore. Then that sets up a a contrast with the the second half of verse 6, right? Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So who does the wounding? Who does the kissing? It makes a big difference. The wounds come from a friend, but the the passage calls it faithful. You're being faithful to your relationship. You're being faithful in your friendship with that person when you call them out in love. The kisses come from an enemy, and they're deadly. And when I think about that phrase, I just think of Judas's literal kiss of betrayal when he sold Jesus out. No one wants to be kissed under those circumstances. So, friendship. Friendship needs frankness, not flattery. Not the sort of words that will tell you what we think you want to hear. Insincere love. False praise. In Shakespeare's King Lear, the king seeks out this false flattery, and it ends in his demise. He's unable to tell the difference between true feelings and false flattery. So at the beginning of the play, he's demanding that his daughters declare how much uh, they love him to test their loyalty. Two of them cater to that demand. They, they uh, give him and provide him with insincere love. So one tells him how much she adores him and how much she would never disrespect him. Another lies and says she loves him with all her heart. And that's because they, they seek to con- get, gain control of the kingdom. That's not exa- really how they feel, but it's the third daughter, Cordelia, that, that refuses to flatter him. It does not mean that the daughter, uh, that she doesn't love him, but that's exactly how the king perceives it. And because it's a Shakespearean tragedy, it, it ends as such. Now, what difference does it make for us? Friendship needs frankness, not flattery. But now, as I mentioned before, that, you know, that's hard to do for a lot of us, right? Your friend, my friend, they could be offending us or offending others or creating a lot of division or difficulty and—or maybe simply just stumbling in sin, struggling with one sin or another. But we're hesitant to say anything. We we don't want to make that incision, that wound— Instead, we, we speak in, indirectly sometimes. We, we go around the issue speaking in maybe third person instead of second person singular. We avoid it all together. Or, or perhaps we, we hope someone else will do the hard work of speaking hard truth. At the same time, there, there might be all these things we, we want to say that, you know, what ends up happening is we, we don't tell that person, we tell all these other people. Now, we ought to say these things. We ought to bring it out into the open. But as the author of uh, Proverbs points out, hidden love is not helpful. Now, neither is open rebuke when it does not come from a place of love. Neither is open rebuke helpful when it comes from a place of anger that is directed only at the individual, not even at the sin when it's more about pointing fingers than it is about pointing friends to Christ. Even as I preach now, I, you know, I recognize that maybe I, I may not be making my point clear enough. And so to illustrate how sometimes we speak less directly, even when we should be more clear, to, to illustrate this pointing friends to Christ— now I had a good friend of mine suggest this to me. I am going to bring on my anger translator, Cola, who will help me to communicate some of these things more frankly. Now, anger translator, gospel preacher, we're going to see how this goes. Now, as you're sitting there, you might be thinking the roads would make more sense if we were reversed because of our personalities. And you're right. But I was the one on the preaching schedule today. Have you ever had a a friend tell you that you have spinach in your teeth? Do you see that green stuff in your teeth? Is this a Hulk situation busting
2: in there? You need to get that green stuff out of your teeth.
1: (laughs) It's embarrassing for a moment, but you're better off for it.
2: I'm telling you this because it's good for you. You need to brush your teeth with some toothpaste. You need some mouthwash to wash your teeth because I know you have some white teeth. I wanna see those teeth.
1: Well, friends will point out the spinach in our lives. They, uh, they will also point out not just the stains on our shirt, but the stains on our soul.
2: We don't have just a teeth situation going on here. We got some stains in your soul. And you know what the only remedy for that is? You need some Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because when we ignore the sin, the problem, it's like avoiding a broken leg. You see what you look like right now,
2: walking around, limping around in your spiritual life? You need the doctor. You need the healer. You need the word of Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. Come and receive the good doctor, Jesus, today.
1: This passage in Proverbs calls us to rebuke one another when we sin.
2: I see that sin in your soul it's not good. You know what it looked like? Your soul right now looks like you've been rolling around in the mud. You need the shower. You need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You need him to rain down on you. You
1: need today some Jesus. And when we rebuke, it's not to point fingers. It's to point them to Christ. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but we're mm. doing it out right, of Jeff. love. Yeah. We are risking ourselves Jeff. in the interest Jeff. of our friends lest Thank we become selfish, Jeff. self-seeking, Jeff. cowardly. Jeff. <sighs>
2: Sorry. I, I didn't sign up for this. Um,
1: Where did those sunglasses come from?
2: <laughs> I, um, good luck with your I think you might have to take that advice.
1: Friendship needs frankness, not flattery. You just get the point now. We probably don't need to be over the top, like what you just saw here. But again, that frankness needs to come from a place of love, not hate. It needs to come from a place of compassion, not indifference. It needs to come from a place of grace, not self-righteousness. So scripture calls us not to cover up sin. But it also calls us to cover over sin. Cover over sins rather than uncovering old sins. This is the next passage, Proverbs 17, 9. So it reads, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close what do you do when your friend offends you? When your friend sins against you? Jesus gives us a path for that in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So you go first to that brother or sister, you go first to that friend, one-on-one, not in a public forum, not making a spectacle, not dragging others into it. And let's say by God's grace, you know, your friend, your brother and sister in Christ repents. The motive here is future friendship, right? Lasting friendship. You want to set something that is broken right again. We cover over an offense, we don't repeat. The matter, which probably means in in this text probably some sort of gossip, cover over sins rather than uncovering owed sins. Now, how do we do that, though? There's a a book called When Sinners Say I Do, Discovering the Power of the Gospel for Marriage. And I I know this this book is talking about applying it to the context of marriage, but I think it's still relevant to, to friendships. So I'm going to read a couple excerpts here. The, in one of the chapters, the author Dave Harvey is talking about forgiveness. Costly and true forgiveness. And, and he actually connects it to this idea of covering over sin. So after the offender acknowledges their sin and repents, what now then? What do you do next? What, what can the, the one offended do Show mercy, he writes. He, he says, it releases the person who sinned from the liability of suffering punishment for that sin. The one sinned against must lay down then t- the temptation to say along with the unforgiving servant in Jesus' parable, pay what you owe. It shuts off the flow of bitterness By opening the flow of love. But there's another step, he goes on. the, The willingness of the one sinned against to absorb the cost of sin. You're the one offended. You're the one who is hurt. You received that emotional pain over what your friend did, over what your brother or sister in Christ did. Will the pain end with you or will you return it? Will your heart, he writes, attempt to to force them to pay what they owe? Or will you follow in the footsteps of the master, Jesus Christ, and demonstrate a willingness to absorb that cost? He writes later on, true forgiveness sees another's sin for the evil that it is, addresses it, then absorbs the cost of that sin by the power of God's abundant grace. He cites another author who, who continues to explain, you know, forgiveness can be a costly activity. When you cancel a debt, it does not just simply disappear, right? Instead, you absorb a liability that someone else deserves to pay. Similarly, forgiveness requires that you absorb certain effects of another person's sins and you release that person from liability to punishment. Because this is precisely what Christ accomplished on Calvary. Cover over sins. Absorb the cost of those sins and we do so in love. We do so in view of Christ, who took our own sins to the cross, who in love absorbed the cost of our own sins, that we may go and do likewise. Cover over sins, but don't cover up sins. I want to end by praying a prayer that another pastor wrote for our passage today. And I, and I think it captures pretty well what, what needs to happen in our own hearts our own lives, to have lasting friendships. So as I pray, I invite you to to reflect and affirm this prayer with me in your own hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, rarely does the phrase cover-up do anything but raise suspicion, eyebrows, ire appropriately we recoil when we experience the manipulation of facts, the minimization of harm, and the muting of our voices, especially in the face of blatant injustice. To be either an agent or a victim of this kind of cover-up is never okay. That being said, there's a stewardship of information, a way of handling one another's failures, sins, and weaknesses, That's a delicate art and requires a gospel heart. There is such a thing as a gospel cover up. And I want to be much better at it. So, as I meditate on this scripture, here's my confessions and my prayers Forgive me when I choose to uncover and use old offenses against my spouse, my children or friends, just to win an argument, gain an advantage, or minimize my own sin. It's as though I never really forgave them the first time. Forgive me, Jesus, when I repeat someone's offense to another friend, or a number of friends, under the guise of seeking prayer, when in reality I'm just gossiping, perhaps even slandering people I claim to care about. How insecure and insidious is that? Forgive me, God, when I keep uncovered and constantly rehearse the sins and offenses of others to myself, feeding my own self-righteousness, fueling my anger, and fermenting my desire for revenge. How ugly is that? Forgive me when I constantly repeat my own failures to myself, choosing to indulge, in my, to indulge my self-contempt and the accusations of Satan much more than I believe and relish the gospel. What a destructive way to do life, robbing you and I of much glory. Jesus, you are the greatest promoter of love ever. For by your blood you have once and for all covered up, covered over, and carried away my sins forever. You will not, not ever, repeat my foolish, fiendish, fickle matters to me or anyone else. So how I praise you today for your irrepressible love for me. Continue to change my own heart and channel my words by your grace For your glory and the good of others so very amen i pray in your holy and kind name amen drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he returns let us pray Hmm. lord jesus we give you thanks we give you thanks that you have broken down the dividing wall of hostility both that dividing wall that separates us from you and that dividing wall which separates us from one another we thank you for this new life, for this forgiveness. We thank you that you bore it all. You bore that weight. You bore that price and that cost upon the cross, upon the cross on our behalf. We give you thanks and we praise you and we remember you today and your great love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen. Please be seated.